0: Welcome back to Weird Distractions Podcast, a weekly podcast where I, your host, Alex, rotate between true crime, conspiracy theories, paranormal stories, folklore, and a little bit of this and a little bit of that to provide you and more than likely what your local Taco Bell would consider a weird distraction from everyday life. Whether you're going through a bad breakup, maybe you just hate your job, or you know what, you just want to kind of not really think about what's going on in the world right now, hopefully listening to this week's episode will get you distracted from whatever is going on. Before we dive into this week's paranormal location, I do have a little bit of housekeeping to go over, and I need to discuss what I need distraction from, which I should also mention, if you ever want me to read your needs for distraction on an upcoming episode, feel free to shoot me a DM, email me, or comment on today's episode post, and I might just read it on a future episode. Okay, so let's start off with some housekeeping. So as of Monday, August 15th, there will be a new weird spam episode out on the $5 USD tier called the Here for the weird tier, which this weird spam episode is going to be featuring a fellow Cultivate Network family member. It was a riot recording this one. I mean, all of them are a riot. And trust me, you won't want to miss out on any of the episodes from this series. So if you've been kind of considering supporting this show financially and you want some extra content, check it out. $5 a month USD here for the weird. You can find that over on www.patreon.com slash weird distractions podcast as well. I am prepping for an upcoming listener distractions episode to come out. I don't have a firm date as of yet. However, as a reminder, when Christy and I started doing that series, we were releasing it on the 13th of the month, whatever month we could, because basically it depends on how many stories we get in. So if you have submitted a story already, great. If you have more, keep up coming. Honestly, there's no cap. If you have the time and you're okay with sharing your weird encounters of the paranormal, hell, maybe a UFO sighting or anything to that nature, send it in. I'd love to read it on a listener distractions episode if you want to be anonymous too you can be anonymous I don't have to say your name your postal code you know your social insurance number anything like that nothing crazy just just give me your stories all right, you can send them on in to Weird Distractions Podcast at Outlook.com. Now it's my time to shine when it comes to my need for distraction. My need for distraction this week is it has taken a lot to record this episode. To take a peek behind the curtain, I have started and stopped this episode probably about five times to adjust the audio to make sure that there's no feedback in the background. It's been it's been an adventure, guys. I don't know what's going on. I think it's also not helping that I'm not feeling the greatest physically. I think I have a cold. It's not COVID. Before you say anything, it's not COVID and testing. Unless my tests are wrong, it's not COVID, okay? But nonetheless, it's just been one of those weeks, all right? It's just been one of those weeks, maybe one of those months. Let's just put it, the, let's just say that August 2022 has already been one of those months. And so that's my need for distraction. And what better way to get distracted from, you know, the month of August than my talking about a reportedly haunted location, which is kind of my bread and butter of life. So let's get into that. As many pop music-loving millennials who also enjoy ghost investigation shows may know, there's a new show starring the TikTok song singer Kesha. I recently stumbled upon the show, which is called Conjuring Kesha. I've been watching fairly regularly now since it started, and in doing that I learned more about this week's Weird distraction and knew that I wanted to discuss it on a future episode paranormal episode. This week, we'll be discussing the history and reported haunts of the William Westerfeld House located in San Francisco, California within the United States. Due to adult themes, coarse language, and other mature discussions that may be discussed, listener discretion is advised. Constructed in 1889, The home located at 1198 Fulton Street in San Francisco was designed for its owner William Westerfeld, a German confectioner, and the house reportedly costed around 10,000 USD to build at this time. That amount could be equivalent to over $300,000 in 2021 if Wikipedia's math is right. William, who was born on September 12th of 1842 in Germany, reportedly immigrated to the United States in the 1870s. He ended up settling in San Francisco where he would continue to work as a confectioner, apparently opening up his own chain of bakeries by the 1880s. Tragically, William wouldn't spend a lot of time enjoying his newly built 28-room Stick Italian home. In a direct quote from the Find a Grave website, William Westerfeld, one of the best-known bakers and confectioners in the city, died at his residence, 1198 Fulton Street yesterday. He had been in very poor health for some months past and once or twice was compelled to submit to surgical operations which weakened his naturally strong constitution, end quote. After William passed away within the master bedroom, the home was sold to John Mahoney, who was one of the Mahoney brothers. The brothers are known for building the San Francis Hotel and the Palace Hotel after the 1906 earthquake. They also are known to host presumably lavish parties, which I'm going to directly quote the Feldman Architecture website to elaborate. Quote, the brothers were also large fans of entertaining, inviting honored guests such as Guglielmo Marconi and Harry Houdini to attend and perform at their dinner parties. Apparently, the house's tower is where Marconi did the first ever West Coast broadcast, and Houdini allegedly tried to experiment with telepathy in the same spot. Mahoney, similarly to William, died in the master bedroom within the home, and allegedly Cesarus Russians would purchase the home. Once they moved in, they would run a nightclub called Dark Eyes in the lower level ballroom. A club named Dark Eyes sounds to me as if it would play some really low grade EDM if it existed in 2022. Nonetheless, it continued to kind of maintain this very party-esque theme that was kind of going on in the home at this point in time. By the 1940s, the house was allegedly converted into a 14-unit apartment building and became kind of a station for jazz musicians, including Dallas Saxonist John Handy. Jumping to the 1960s, a series of communes occupied the house, which is reportedly when things started to get a little dark. And no, I'm not talking about a Dark Eyes Club 2.0. But before we get deeper into kind of the dark stuff, let's introduce the other Westerfell House characters. Between 1966 and 1967, occultist filmmaker Kenneth Anger reportedly lived and made movies at the Westerfeld house. These movies included the 1969 film Invocation of My Demon Brother and Lucifer Rising. Kenneth was known to release some pretty nitty gritty films which often were not showcased on the big screens typically if you catch my drift. Reports seem to point that Kenneth was perhaps a big fan of the man downstairs and no this isn't referring to another housemate but rather to Satan. Kenneth was allegedly quoted saying once, Lucifer is the patron saint of visual arts, color, form, all of these are are the work of Lucifer. Seems pretty on brand to me for someone of Kenneth's standing to be all about Daddy Satan. Speaking of, another Satan stand would also make their appearance at the Westerfeld house. According to the San Francisco Curbed website, Church of Satan founder Anton LaVey and his pet line were frequent visitors to the home. Reportedly, both Anton and the lion would be shining as stars in Kenneth's films. Anton's pet line would be even kept in the tower of the home, which some resources claim that there are still claw marks on the tower's doorframe. There's another rare twist during this time period as well that ties into some pretty culty-esque vibes if you catch my drift. Another apparent housemate and featured film guest to Kenneth was Manson family member Bobby Beausoleil. If you've never heard of the Manson family, take a quick gander at other true crime podcasts after you're done listening to today's episode. I haven't covered them, and to be honest, I probably won't discuss it. But it's a fairly well-documented, highly publicized case. Speaking to those that are unaware of the Manson family, aka the Cult, it was led by a man named Charles Manson. There's rumors that apparently Charles was known to reside at the Westerfeld House. However, many just think he visited the home. From time to time as opposed to being a full-on roommate. Supposedly, Bobby left the home after an argument with Kenneth and reportedly met up with the members of the Manson family and Bobby would go on to be one of the first members to be arrested for the murder of Gary Hyman. Another rumor associated with the Westerfeld House, other than, you know, the whole Charles Manson living there bit, is that during the 1960s, the gates of hell were reportedly opened within the home. Some speculate that folks like Anton and his followers may have practiced rituals to whip up the paranormal activity, such as seances and alleged satanic rituals. It's believed that the tower of the Westerfeld House is where most of the spiritual activities took place. To back this up, here's a direct quote from the Moon Mausoleum website. Quote, the tower of the home reportedly had a large pentagram etched into the floorboards, permeating whatever kind of energy to stick with the house forever. After Anton and Kenneth's crew left, it seems as if the house became once again a boarding situation for musicians. Musicians such as Mick Jagger, Janis Joplin, and Jerry Garcia have been reportedly tied to spending time at the home during this period, whether it just to be to visit or just for maybe a brief respite. Then in 1986 a man named Jimmy Siegel purchased the home and his story is very interesting in the sense that it seems as though he has been gravitated towards the Westerfeld home since he was a child. According to the resources I came across online Jimmy admired the house growing up as it resembled the home that goth icons the Adams family lived in. I'm not gonna lie Jimmy is kind of living the dream owning this home. Taking an old home that reminds you of something from your childhood and making it your own i kind of hope to do that someday for those wondering if jimmy was into the house for perhaps all the satanic and spiritual reasons i don't necessarily get that vibe in another direct quote from jimmy from the moon mausoleum website to elaborate why i think this further quote i was always attracted to the architecture of the building the occult happenings in the house were of little interest to me but to be on the safe side i had the monks from the hartford street zen center do a cleansing and a blessing for the house when i bought it in 1986 end quote Needless to say, I don't think he had any intentions to whip up something nefarious spiritual-wise when it came to buying the home. Jimmy has done some renovations to the home and really has tried to maintain the history of it too. And as far as from what I can see online, Jimmy continues to own the home to this day. And it seems as though he rents some of the rooms out, which makes sense given the fact that there are a lot of rooms in this house. Fun weird fact, the Westerfield house is over 45 minutes north of another spooky home, being that of the Winchester Mystery House, which Christy and I actually discussed in October of 2021 on the show. Now that we've kind of got all the history of the Westerfeld House covered, let's get into the reported haunts. So not only did pop icon Kesha go to the Westerfeld House, but so did our usually discuss paranormal crew being that of the Ghost Adventures team. I'll break down the experiences that the Ghost Adventures crew had, what was witnessed on Conjuring Kesha, and then wrap up the spookiness by discussing any other reported paranormal activity or stories that I came across in my research. The Ghost Adventures crew released their Westerfeld House investigation during their 15th season, supposedly. However, some sources claim it was during their 17th season, and on Discovery Plus, it says the 20th season. Regardless, in this episode, Zach actually gets to interview Kenneth Anger, which, not gonna lie, was a pretty interesting conversation to say the least. In this interview, Kenneth confirms that he did some ceremonies within the Westerfeld House Tower in which he indicated these ceremonies were meant to, quote, call for some of the entities. Kenneth basically said that he was referring to spirits, so they were basically trying to communicate with spirits. Later, he confirmed that demons were also summoned, as Kenneth noted that demons are what you have. They're the bread and butter of the ceremonies. Kenneth and I have very different opinions when it comes to bread and butter, clearly. I don't think demons is the bread and butter of life, but you know what? To each their own. Kenneth also cleared the air that he didn't carve the pentagram in the tower, but rather someone before him had done it, potentially meaning that even before Kenneth and the crew were at the house, someone may have been dabbling in some occult activities or just, you know, defacing the property. Kenneth does confirm that he believes the Westerfeld house is charged with some kind of demonic energy, which we all know this isn't necessarily ideal for fairly obvious safety reasons. Think of it similarly to if you're at a beach and you have fries with you and you decide to give maybe one pride to a seagull. The seagull being a demon. One demon will come and then all of a sudden you're being flocked by a bunch of seagulls or demons and you can't get rid of them because they know you have food. It's just not safe. Now here is the breakdown of the spookiness that occurred when Zach, Aaron, Jay, and Billy entered the doors of 1198 Fulton Street. They were plagued by seagulls. Thanks for listening. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. There was no seagulls involved, but there's a lot of spooky shit that I went down. Right off the hop, Zach tells Jimmy during their interview that he has some kind of synchronicity between himself and the Westerfeld house. The synchronicity that Zach claims to have is that before he and the crew would even show up to the house, he was supposedly looking for some haunted or creepy things for his museum in Las Vegas when he came across a seven foot tall dollhouse that is a dead ringer for the actual Westerfeld house. Does this mean that it was fate for Zach and the crew to go there? Who knows? Regardless, the crew experiences described ice-cold air spots throughout the home before and during the lockdown investigation. Now, I may have mentioned it in previous episodes, but I'll just kind of elaborate why this is important. So, apparently, when a spirit is present in a room or in a location, there is belief that the temperature will change. So for example, it might get really, really cold or it might get really, really hot or there'll be a specific area that is being affected by this temperature change. This was debunked as being a draft or any air conditioning being on as Jimmy noted that the heat was actually on. Yes, it is an old house and yes, it's possible that drafts could come in. However, if the heat's on, why is it cold? Does it really make sense to me? Does it make sense to you? Does it make sense to me? Zach and resident Kelly Edwards encounter the table that they're sitting at during their interview to shake back and forth. At this point, they also capture random knocking sounds. Other noises caught during the investigation that were considerably unexplainable include loud thuds, random footsteps, and what sounds to be disembodied breathing, which, no thanks, I'm good. Don't think I really want to... Experience that personally. In the interview with Zach, Kelly also stated that those that stay overnight at the Westerfeld house can experience things such as nightmares and sleep paralysis which we will discuss nightmares again when we discuss the Conjuring Kesha episode. Next in the Ghost Adventures episode, a light in the tower was captured to have flickered when the crew was up there, despite no one flicking a switch. Equipment malfunctions occur throughout the entire episode, including Billy's camera randomly turning off, Zach's walkie-talkie mysteriously letting out several strange sounds, and although it's not a malfunction per se, the crew's X-camera, which was shooting the stairs, unexpectedly gets knocked over by an unknown force. When it comes to the electronics being drained of their batteries, once again, a common belief is that supposedly entities or spirits will drain the energy sources from electronics in order to try and manifest themselves. So this could be seen as maybe a spirit trying to, I don't know, manifest. Or maybe, just maybe, it just didn't like the electronics in the house. Especially the camera. Fuck your ex-camera. Remember when I mentioned Anton LaVey? Well, he does make kind of an appearance in the Ghost Adventures episode. So, during the investigation, Aaron reportedly claims to see a flash image of Anton LaVey within the house. In the episode, it seemed to be really quick, like... There's Anton and that was kind of it, to be honest. And of course, it's something that we can't see in the episode ourselves. So it's based on Aaron's perspective. Speaking of Aaron, as Aaron goes down a set of stairs, he feels as though something is not letting him pass. So he gets to a certain point at the stairs and at that point, it's as if something is telling him, no, you can't go any further. There's like this weird force that's kind of holding him back. At this same time, the X camera captures a light anomaly Moving towards the stairs, and the EVP states the word past. The EVP device detects a change in the environment in which something may have manifested, and the device also can produce some words that apparently spirits are trying to say. So maybe the EVP was saying past when everyone's on the stairs to indicate, like, hey, I just passed you. The EVP device produces the following words. The first, of course, being rage, which is captured in the tower while the crew is setting up, followed by the word living. This is captured after the word rage pops up as Zach asks out loud if anything is going to rage or potentially if it was going to make one of the living aka one of the ghost adventure crew members rage. Throughout the episode the spirit box device is used. If you don't know, basically the spirit box is this object that kind of channels through all these different radio frequencies and it's believed that this allows for spirits to try and communicate. It's really choppy, it's not the nicest thing to listen to, especially if it's really really loud but there have been some situations or I guess events where a lot can be captured from using this device. In one scene, Erin gets a response of something saying blank watching. Which is weird because you can't actually hear the first part. But you hear the word watching, which means, I don't know, maybe something is watching the crew. It's it's really hard to say. That is followed by it saying it's over and what do you want? Which kind of sounds like the lines you could use in a breakup to me, but who knows maybe the spirit was kind of trying to say like hey guys this investigation's over what more do you want however before Aaron can answer the spirit's question of what do you want the spirit box seemingly has a voice stating you personally i don't know how i would feel if a spirit's like what do we want you no you know i'm flattered but i've got places to go after this right that that's how i would respond the crew also decides to do a ritual which I'm not sure how I feel about that, but nonetheless, during the ritual, they were probably witnessed something manifest above them. The thing that they supposedly witness manifesting above them is described as kind of like a human-looking form, but it's not necessarily caught on camera, so we're basically just kind of going off their word and their perspective. I should mention that the ritual or the ceremony that the Ghost Adventures crew did wasn't described as satanic, but rather some kind of ancient spiritual ceremony of sorts. I get that they're trying to stir up the paranormal activity in order to capture it, but I don't know. To me, it just kind of seems risky and not necessary whatsoever. To cap off the creepiness that the crew experiences, Jay reportedly claims to feel presence around him. And at the same time, the Kinect camera detects a figure doing something over his shoulder. This figure seems to morph into what appears to be like a goat-like figure, which begs the question, Was this Satan, who is often associated as being half-human, half-go? Who's to say? What do you think? Let me know. Now on to the phenomena captured in the Conjuring Kesha episode. Kesha and her friend, being that of rapper Gaeta, barely even make it through the front door threshold before they encounter something weird. As they approach the front door, the doorknob suddenly starts to move on its own. It starts turning on its own. And upon entry, they realize that nobody else was on the other side turning the doorknob. Kesha and the crew, similar to the Ghost Adventures team, experience electronic malfunctions, such as cameras shutting off randomly multiple times. Kesha and Geta also encounter temperature changes similar to the Ghost Adventures crew. During their interview with tenant Kelly Edwards, he explains that prior to the recording of the Conjuring Kesha episode, everybody in the house kind of got together and started cleaning the house, you know, as you do when company comes. They were doing their own thing on the main floor when all of a sudden they heard an alarm clock go off upstairs at like 6 p.m., randomly. So Kelly, along with whoever else was at the home at the time decided to go upstairs, where they find that the sound of the alarm clock is coming from the master bedroom. As the clock was investigated, the clock battery slowly died. Just after Kelly explains this to Kesha, Gaeta, and their crew, they hear an alarm clock going off upstairs. Eerily, it was the exact same clock that Kelly was talking about. And once again, Kelly stated that this alarm clock was never set to go off. And it went off at a random time. It didn't go off at the same time that it did day prior. So what's going on? Kelly in this episode shared that he believed the bed in the master bedroom may be the original bed that William Westerfeld and John Mahoney died in. Which to me, I don't know if I would keep that. I mean, I don't know if I'd keep that and sleep on it. Personally, I think at that point you, you, you could just buy a new bed. Maybe just get rid of that one. But that's just me. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What what do you think? Would you sleep in someone's bed that you know died in? Kelly, Kesha, and Gata move now from the master bedroom to the library, which is when the crew captures the chandelier in the library flickering by itself. Another creepy thing that happens is that Kesha and Gaeta use the REM pod, which alerts to changes of the surrounding energy field and they encounter it going off multiple times in the episode, like non-stop it seemed, and it was very apparent that something was either triggering it or, I don't know, maybe it was also malfunctioning. It's hard to say. Anyways, Kesha, who slept supposedly overnight alone in the Westerfeld house, claimed to have heard disembodied voices, experienced nightmares, and even sleep paralysis, which once again, that's a common theme that seems to keep popping up with the Westerfeld house. Needless to say, if you plan on sleeping there, you might not have a good night's sleep. During the second day of their investigation, Kesha and Gaeta use a spirit box where they ask if the spirit wants them to leave. They receive a, yeah, back through the box, which it was very nonchalant, hence why I said it very nonchalantly. It was very like a, yeah, you could leave. You could go. Anytime now. You know, just a very, very mundane sounding. Of course, Kesha and Gaeta don't leave, but rather they try and figure out who is talking to them, which they get a, sure, in response when asking if they were maybe speaking to Harry Houdini. I, I kind of don't. Harry Houdini would just be like, Yeah, sure, it's me. Why not? Like, no, I I feel as though it would be more profound if it was Harry Houdini. That's just my speculation. When asking if there was a doorway or vortex in the home, they get a yes in response. Then Kesha asks if Marconi had potentially sent a signal to some other dimension. The response wasn't so nonchalant as the others, as you can all of a sudden hear something come through the spear box stating, Get up. So, Kesha and to go upstairs as per the spirit's recommendation. After not really getting much upstairs other than a couple hits off the REM pod, they decide to go downstairs. And this is the last kind of portion that I want to discuss from the episode. So they go back downstairs and they decide to use a Ouija board, which Ouija boards I'm so very on the fence about because once again you're communicating with the other side potentially, and I think used in a safe setting with people who are well versed in it is okay. But I don't know if I would just bust out a Ouija board anytime I want to talk to somebody and, you know, just do it on my own. I feel like it's something you you should probably do with others if you do decide to do it. Which, up to your discretion, personally, once again, I don't know if I'd do it. I mean, me and my friends in high school would play with, like, made-up ones off of, like using cardboard and stuff, but to be honest, I kind of doubt it worked properly. And because of the things you hear when it comes to, you know, possession cases and everything like that, I don't know. Spirit and Ouija boards just kind of, I don't know, it just seems like a gamble to me. Gaeta and Kesha decide to use the Ouija board in which they report they feel the spirit board planchette move on its own. Now you can in the episode, you can kind of see them all like react to something moving. You can't specifically see it moving. So, once again, it's one of those things where you're kind of going off their perspective. It's TV. Who knows if it actually moved or not? Their responses seem genuine, but once again, who knows? Now to discuss the other reports I found online regarding the hauntings at the Westerfeld house. Throughout my research, I came across a few different stories that kind of gave me the heebie-jeebies. For example, the owner, Jimmy, reportedly once felt something get into bed with him and actually felt something sink into the mattress as he's laying in the master bedroom aka the master bedroom which has potentially the former bed of the first two owners of the Westerfeld house might I remind everybody. The doorknob turning experiences weren't just experienced by Kesha and Gaeta but apparently others have experienced this too. It happens more common than I think was maybe described in the Conjuring Kesha episode but I came across a couple of different reports that said hey by the way uh yeah doorknobs move a lot in that house. Finally, other reports claim that people have suddenly felt a wave of kind of like this inability to physically move, specifically while they're up in the tower. And part of me wonders if that's because that is potentially where the quote-unquote vortex or portal or or gates of hell are active, right? I mean, it kind of makes sense that you can't move around if there's so much energy in one spot. Now to summarize this week's paranormal episode... When it comes to the paranormal activity at the Westerfeld house, it seems that, without a doubt to me, there is some kind of portal or entryway or just, I don't know, some kind of like energy going on residing within the home. Although there is quite the dark past associated with the home, it's somewhat comical to me that the home started off as kind of like a family home for a man who was a German confectioner. The man was literally working with sugar, sugary sweet, you know, not saying that I know exactly who he was as a person, but this house was meant to be a family home. And once it started kind of switching hands, things went from sugary sweet to borderline satanic very fast. Whether you believe in the paranormal or not, the house itself, I think, is a spectacular sight to see. As mentioned, though, it is privately owned, so be respectful if you do decide to go take a peek at the house. Don't knock on the door and be like, oh, I heard those houses hold to let me in. No, just walk by, take it in, leave it alone. And with that said, if anyone has been in the house, let me know. I'd love to hear your experiences. If you've enjoyed today's weird distractions episode, please consider telling your friends, family, co-workers, or anyone else who will listen about the show. You can tell them to find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, and many more. If you're streaming the show on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review. This helps the show out for free by letting others know that it's worth listening to. And Another way to support the show for free and to never miss an update is to follow along on the show's various social media accounts. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. My handle is at WeirdDistractI1 and TikTok. If you want to financially support the show and get yourself a little something extra each month, why not join one of the two tiers over on Patreon. Each month you get exclusive content such as bonus episodes and series, the Weird Destinations travel posts, plus early access to the regular feed episodes. You can find out which tier is best suited for you by going to patreon.com slash weirddistractionspodcast Shout out to my current patrons aka my weird little family members Tom, Bailey, Angela, John, Alicia, Lynn, Sissy, Shadow, Courtney, and Cheryl. I love you all and appreciate your ongoing support of Weird Distractions. If you're unable to support the show on a monthly basis but still want to support it maybe as a one-time donation, check out the show's merch over on Redbubble or sign up for a one-time donation over on buy me a coffee lastly i want to hear from you as some long-time listeners may recall christy and i released two listener story-based episodes called listener distractions i'd love to keep doing this series and hear all of your weird tales of ghostly encounters unexplainable events and too close to home true crime stories you can email me your tales at weird distractions at outlook.com as well send me feedback if there are any corrections that need to be made after today's episode let me know and as As always, if you need a distraction, I got you. Bye.